for our reading text. We will be starting in John chapter 3 and uh, verse 17. So I was debating we could, I'm sure we could go back and get verse 16. It's probably almost always appropriate to read John 3, 16, but I'm sure uh, even uh, some of the, the children could probably uh, recite that one or at least uh, get a lot of, a lot of it correct. But I want to go down to verse 17 because a lot of times we get verse 16 and we maybe don't get what comes right after that. And this is, of course, this is uh, Jesus uh, speaking and he's talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus uh, who in verse 1 of chapter 3, it just says that he was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus is an interesting character, uh, an interesting person. He's not mentioned in any of the, of, the, of the other Gospels, only in the Gospel of John, and he's only mentioned three times. Once here, uh, once in John chapter 7, he's talked about as uh, uh, defending Jesus a little bit, if you will. They're, they're, some of the Pharisees are looking to, to condemn Jesus. They even want to arrest Jesus. And it just says that Nicodemus uh, asks a question essentially saying, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Um, and then we don't hear from Nicodemus again until after uh, Jesus has been crucified. And it just says that Nicodemus, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, is the one that gave uh, his tomb. And he asked for the body of Jesus. And he took the body of Jesus. And it just says that uh, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then it says, Then took they, assuming this would be Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is, to bury. And that's all we know about him um, at, directly in the scriptures. And there's, uh, if you read, there's a lot of speculation. Uh, different uh, people have different opinions on what happened to Nicodemus if he... Uh, truly became a follower of Christ, a, an outward follower of Christ, if he uh, al- was allowed to remain as a Pharisee or if he um, was essentially cast out from that sect because of his devotion to Christ in some way. Um, I did a little bit of reading. I won't go. There's all sorts of thoughts and theories out there, but we'll just try to remain within what the Scriptures tell us. So he's an interesting person and what's interesting is as he comes to Jesus by night, some of the, the, the greatest spiritual truths that we hold on to all these years later were spoken by our Savior Jesus Christ that night to this Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, who had come in secret to talk to Jesus. And in this one night, in this I don't know how long their conversation lasted. I don't know if they spoke more words together than what is recorded here in the book of John. But what is recorded is profound. And, st- and it is, of course, John 3.16 is probably the most widely known verse in the entire Bible. But just the truth that Jesus talks about here, about being born again, and about the wind, and comparing it to the Spirit about the, the Moses lifting up the serpent and how the Son of Man must be lifted up. All of these things, they, they're, it's just amazing 
what Nicodemus was allowed to experience as he talked to our Savior Jesus Christ this night. And in verse 17, Jesus here speaking, he says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him, talking about the Son, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. And we'll stop there just in those few verses as Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here. Um, he doesn't, there's not that much recorded. It just goes down for a couple more verses, and then the scriptures pivot um, to something that happened after these things. So Jesus here is speaking to Nicodemus, and he's talking quite a bit about condemnation. And condemnation is uh, uh, another way, another translation for that would be judgment. But he's talking about the uh, to be condemned is essentially to be judged, and to be found to be condemned would be to found to be found guilty. And condemnation is a if done correctly, if the judge is righteous, right in his judgment, then the condemnation, the guilty verdict, is, is a just act. It is, it is truth. It is a judge analyzing reality and correctly judging, correctly identifying a guilty person is actually guilty. It's, not, it's, it's just a statement of the facts. They have committed a crime and the judge finds them guilty of that crime. But Jesus is talking about condemnation, and he says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then he goes on and he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If we skip on down to the last verse of the chapter, uh, this isn't the direct words of Jesus, but this is John uh, kind of summarizing, I think, some of these truths that have been recorded. And in verse 36 it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth or will stay on him. And as we think about condemnation, as we, as we look at condemnation and judgment, intertwined in the midst of that is what we call the wrath of God or the anger of God. Because he is a just God, and a just God has, an, has anger, has wrath, has fury toward sin. And sinners that commit sin. We see the wrath of God displayed, not in its full extent, but we see glimpses of that wrath throughout the Scriptures. If you read through the Old Testament and you read through uh, God's people, His chosen people, Israel, there are times where the wrath of God broke out because of their sin, because of their rebellion, because of their idolatry. 
Jesus, he was referring here, as he was talking to Nicodemus, he talked about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He was referring back to a time where the wrath of God broke out over God's people. They complained in the wilderness. They complained that God had led them to die in the wilderness. They, they cursed and they loathed the manna that he was feeding them. And fiery serpents started to come out and bite people and they were dying by the thousands. The wrath of God was being poured out on them for their rebellion. And Moses, it, it was a very, it's a very strange story because in many, like God had already told them not to make idols and to worship idols, and yet God told him to make this brazen, this bronze or brass serpent and to lift it up, not for the people to worship it, not for them to worship a snake, not for them to worship an idol, but that they would look upon it and have faith because God said that those that look upon this serpent would not die. Just as we are to look upon the Son of Man that's lifted up in faith, that through, it is by Him, the one that is lifted up, that we shall not die. There's plenty of other times where plagues would break out, God's wrath would break out, and people would die, and, and, and His wrath sometimes would be, uh, would be pacified, His anger would be pacified through the execution, through the killing of of an individual or a people. The sin of Achan, the one that went and they were told not to, to take anything when they conquered uh, an area. And Achan secretly took some things and hid them in the ground. And the wrath of God, the anger of God was upon the people. And when it was found out what Achan did, he was, he was executed for his sin. There was another time where the people, um, they, they were... It was in the book of Numbers, and they're going to the promised land. And they started to uh, commit idolatry with, I believe it was the, the Moabites. And uh, one of the Israelites brought a Moabite woman, a princess, if you will, from this strange nation. And he brought her into the camp. And it says Phineas, who was Aaron's, the Aaron was the high priest, and then his uh, son Eleazar became the high priest. And it was his son Phineas. He actually killed the man and the woman. And God, it says that God's anger was sort of pacified um, because Phineas was, was, um, was earnest in wanting to defend God and uh, protect the people from their own idolatry and from the wrath of God that was coming upon them. So we see the wrath of God, and it talks about that wrath of God in verse 36. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And that wrath comes through the condemnation. It comes through the judgment of God because God has seen sin and he has judged it righteously. He has judged it rightly and his wrath is poured out. His anger, it, it's, it's a part of who he is as well. He's a just God. He is a wrathful God. It is a part of his nature. Rightfully so. And he cannot allow the wicked to go free because that would not be just or righteous. And this, this idea, I'm going to read just a few more scriptures and then I'll, I'll try to, to get to really the, the, what I want us to focus in on. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. 
it says, but God commendeth his love towards us. So, and Jesus, and if you go back to what he spoke to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, he's talking about condemnation, but he's talking about love. Uh, right before that, it talks about how God so loved the world in John three sixteen, And then it, that ties into how God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So this idea of, of condemnation and salvation, being saved, being rescued from that condemnation, is tied into the love of God. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. We shall be saved from wrath through him, being Jesus Christ. So Paul is building out, I think, Jesus has talked to Nicodemus about it. It's John has uh, penned it down just after that at the end of chapter 3 about uh, how those that are not in Christ, who do not believe in Christ, how wrath it abideth, it will stay, it remains upon them. The wrath of God is on them because they're condemned and judged guilty of their sin. And Paul builds this out further that he ties it in that God's love is displayed, it's manifested, it's commended that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ's death is a display of God's love. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So part of, of the death of Jesus, part of God's love being commended, part of it being displayed, being uh, the action that God took to show his love in the death of our Savior is tied into the fact that we are no longer condemned and we are saved from the wrath that comes with that condemnation. Romans chapter 8, just a few scripture chapters over, and verse 1. Paul here still writing to the Romans. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 21. It's still the Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Corinth this time. In chapter five, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. So he, we've got to kind of look back at it because in the verse prior, it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So God and Christ are in, are in scope here in what Paul is writing about. So for he would be God, God the Father, hath made him, being Jesus, the Son of God, to be sin for us. In the us, I think we can probably understand. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, but he was including himself. And I believe that us is inclusive for us here today. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Once again, going back to Jesus, Jesus did not know sin. He did not commit sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's this idea, this concept, that in God's love, 
God sent Jesus to die for us, and that in doing so, those of us that are in Christ are not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. So we are not condemned. We are not held accountable and guilty for our sin. And in that, we are saved from the wrath of God because, and how did this happen? And, and there's a couple things that I, that I want to kind of come to with this. One is that our sins are covered. That Jesus, in his atoning act of, of sacrifice, the crucifixion, atonement is a covering. That we are covered by his blood and symbolically, which means that we are shielded. We are shielded from the wrath of God because we are atoned for. Our sins have been atoned for. They've been covered by Jesus. And in that covering, we are given the righteousness of God in Jesus. So we are covered. And so you can think about it as, as that wrath is passing by and... Um, as the, the spirit of death is as the, the death was coming to the Egyptians and the children of Israel were to put the blood upon the mantle and their doorposts. And it those that were that were covered by that blood, they were they they it was an atonement. The blood was was it was an atonement for them and they were covered and so death passed by them and it did not affect them. And the, the idea of the mercy seat and the, the Ark of the Covenant and how the, priest, the, the high priest would come in once a year and he would sprinkle blood and it would act as a covering. So the Bible, it, it, oftentimes the blood, the, the sacrifice of an animal and the blood that was, that was part of that sacrifice, it would cover. It would, be a, it would be something so that God would overlook or would, it, that the sin would not be visible, if you will. Not that God becomes any less God. It's not that he doesn't know that the sin is there. But he treats it as if it's not. It's covered. It's shielded. It's protected. And we have that protection in the blood of Christ. We have protection. We're atoned for. And that wrath of God that is, is going to be poured out, that the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is talked about in John. He talks about how wrath abides on people still when they are not in Christ Jesus because they're still condemned of their sin. Their sin is not covered. So their sin is visible to a righteous God. And when your sin is visible to a righteous God and you are held accountable for that sin, you face the wrath of God. Jesus didn't just cover our sin, though. It says he was made, that he was made to be sin for us. He was made to be sin for us. What does that mean? Well, I believe, and now there's those people out there that may disagree, but I believe that means that in order for us to be covered, in order for God to allow us to be innocent, to be declared innocent, that Jesus had to take upon him what was rightfully ours. 
And if he was going to be sin for us, then he was going to have to face the condemnation and the wrath of God that was meant for our sin and meant for us as those that had committed that sin. I was thinking about this earlier this week, and, and I guess what really struck me and, and what I want to try to, to bring out in, in this, this thought and this message is there's, we, look at the, we look at the life of Jesus, and we know that he was fully man and fully God. I believe the scriptures bear that out. And in being fully man, there was a lot of things that he, he, he felt, he dealt with. And the scriptures talk about how he isn't a high priest. He's not some high priest out there that doesn't understand us. But he took our flesh, human flesh upon him. And so he's aware of our infirmities. He's aware of what it is to be a human being. And what, what comes along with that. He suffered pain. And there's things that he suffered that we can, we can relate to. He can relate to us because he has been a human being and has suffered as a human does suffer. There were times where he was hungry. And we as human beings, we can relate to that. There's times where we get hungry. Now, I don't know if any one of us have ever been as hungry, physically hungry, physically our bodies being weak and, and, and affected by a lack of food. I don't know if any of us have experienced it to the level that he did. But there are people out there that maybe have, there are people out there that in, uh, throughout history that have died from hunger, from a lack of food. And those people, I'm sure, could relate to Jesus and, and the, the hunger, the physical hunger that he felt in a very real way. Jesus, he got tired. His body, it was a physical body, and he, he was a very busy individual. We had people always calling for his attention, and he would still get up early, and he would go out uh, very early, and he would go and he would pray, and he would connect with his Father, and he would pray for his Father's will and for his Father's help as he was fulfilling what he was called to do. He got tired, and we can relate we know what it's like to get tired, for our bodies to be fatigued. I, I don't know about you, but just to, to be so tired that it's hard to even sleep because we're just so exhausted. I don't know that any of us have ever been as physically exhausted as he was. I'm almost certain that none of us have uh, accomplished as much and done as much as he did even physically, even, even what he was dealing with just in the physical world, just in his body, the, the, uh, the amount of effort and energy he was, he was giving out to others in his ministry. None of us, I'm sure, have, have experienced it to that level. But we can relate. Even the physical pain that he suffered on a Roman cross, now not to the extent I'm sure but there were two thieves stand or that were hanging there next to him that could relate very well to the physical pain that he was going through while he was hanging there on that cross because they were hanging there with him so the pain of having nails piercing your hands and piercing your feet 
They would have experienced that. They knew what that pain was like. Having to sort of try to lift yourself up just to be able to breathe. They had an understanding of what that was like because they were hanging there with him. There's a lot of things in Jesus his ministry and especially in his physical body that we at least we can relate to somewhat and there are those people throughout time that have been able to relate to it at least in part but I was thinking about this one thing that we will never be able to comprehend and understand is the condemnation and the wrath that Jesus faced while he hung there on that cross and became sin for us who knew no sin. Why? For those, well, I say that for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. We that are in Christ Jesus will never know what it is to experience the condemning wrath of God for our sins because Jesus did that for us. It's a concept that we will never be able to understand because we will never experience it like Jesus did. We know what it's like to, uh, to be convicted of our sins. And the Holy Spirit continues to do that to us. He convicts us of our sins. When, we're, when we are in Christ, sometimes the Spirit of God, what it's doing is it's convicting us of our sin and it's showing us that the way that we're living and the things that we're doing, that they are not what God has said. It's not what He commanded. It's not in His will. And we're convicted because we are His children and the Father wants us to look like Him. We are to follow Christ. Follow in His footsteps. But we never will fully know, we'll never experience the wrath, the anger of God poured out upon us in equal measure to what our sin deserves. We'll never experience that. Not those that are in Christ. The Bible teaches us that. Jesus said, as just as He had talked about uh, the love of God and how God had gave His Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not pe- should not perish but have everlasting life. Right after that, He says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Not condemned. Not that we're not guilty. Not that we didn't commit the sin. But in God's judgment, we are not held accountable for that sin. And because we're not held accountable for that sin, when the wrath of God comes along and our sin is in question, we are covered. We're hidden away. We are rescued by our Shield our Savior Jesus Christ. 
but our being saved from it is only because he endured it. And I can preach about the wrath of God to you, and I can give you examples from the scriptures. I can read through the scriptures about what the scriptures say about what God likes and what, what he finds to be righteous and honorable and what he considers to be sin and that God hates sin and that God can't look upon sin because he is holy. I can describe these things to you and I can, I can try to describe in, even in the book of Revelation where it talks about the wrath of God and the final judgment of God that is coming. But I can't pretend to, to explain to you what it's like to fully feel the wrath of God in all of its fury because I will never experience it. Jesus did in my place. I don't know if you've ever had these thoughts before. I... Uh, you know, sometimes when you I, I've read the read through the Bible, read the gospel message, and you think about Jesus dying for us, and some thoughts may creep out sometimes. And and one of those thoughts was, you know, I think that I could uh, die for someone if I knew that three days later I would rise from the dead. You know, death doesn't maybe seem that bad if you know that you're just going to rise from the grave. But what Jesus did for us is far more than just die only to be resurrected. He did far more than just lose his life for uh, his physical life there for a few days until that Easter Sunday morning when the tomb, the stone rolled away and his resurrected body was walking, talking, and breathing in this world again. But maybe what we fail to, to see, or uh, certainly what we don't see in, because we're, we're, where we've been shielded from it, we can't fully appreciate it. But I, I pray that it will, it, will, it will well up within us thankfulness to God to a degree that is, is worthy to honor Him and worship Him. Is that when Jesus was dying for us, it wasn't just that he was laying down his life to take it up in three days, but he was experiencing something that he should have never had to touch. If there was anyone ever that didn't have to experience the wrath and condemnation of God, it was him. Because he knew no sin. He was the Son of God that was fully righteous, and he should not have had to face God's wrath. And I can't tell you exactly what God's wrath feels like to the full extent, but I can only imagine how terrible and horrible and awful and heavy and crushing it must be. And he shouldn't have had to have tasted a drop of it. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begged... Father, let this cup pass from me. It's not called the cup of God's fury or the cup of God's wrath specifically in the New Testament. Jesus just said this cup. 
But if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at oftentimes what is described, it's talking about it, what's described as the cup is it talks about the cup of God's fury or the cup of God's wrath. And he, in the Old Testament, it talks about how God's enemies will be, will be forced to drink it, even to the dregs or even to the bottom. And I believe that's what Jesus did for us, is he took upon himself the wrath of God for our sin because he became sin for us. It's the only way that I can, I can make it all make sense because if he truly became our sin, if he took upon us the guilt of our sin and he was there presented to the Father, now it says that uh, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God could not look upon that sin. But I believe that for him to be sin in our place, that he would have had to have taken on the condemnation of God, to be condemned, to be justly found guilty, and to face the wrath that comes along with that. And how awful it must have been. What a load he must have carried. And that is something that we can never fully understand. We can never fully appreciate. But whatever glimpses we get of it, whatever we've experienced in our own lives, when it comes to when, we, when we're lost and separated from Him and we have that conviction and we, we see ourselves as, as terrible sinners in front of a holy God, And how we can start to experience some of that in, as God is convicting us and drawing us to repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ. Maybe we can get glimpses of it through the Scripture and through our own experiences. And as we, as we get those glimpses of His condemnation and His wrath... May it make us all the more thankful that we will not have to experience it to its full extent. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But Jesus does go on. He says, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It says that God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And it doesn't say, it doesn't say he that believeth on Him is not... Con- it says he that believeth on Him is not condemned. It doesn't say he that believeth not. It says that he is condemned already. Why? Because he's there, we're guilty of our sin. We're guilty of our sin. And God is a righteous judge that judges. He sees the reality of the situation. He sees that we really are guilty. And we are already condemned because of our sin. Jesus, it's not that if Jesus hadn't come into the world, we would have avoided condemnation. That's not the truth of the gospel. The truth is we were condemned already. And if Jesus had not come, we would all be facing that condemnation and the just wrath of God. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. But for those that are in Christ, they're condemned already. Their sin condemns them. 
And it says, Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. The scriptures describe Jesus as, as the light of the world. No light has ever shone brighter. And yet, as this bright, beautiful light came into the world, what happened? He was rejected. It was his own people. They, they went through the Roman system. But the Romans were not the ones that were crying out and, and beside themselves yelling and screaming and making a huge scene that he should be crucified. That was the Jews, his own people. Those that were waiting for their Messiah. Why would they do that? Why would the light come and them try to snuff it out like you would our children? We're there in a phase right now. We, uh, we light candles um, in some of the meals that we have just to try to make it extra special. And when we get done with the meal, they both really want to, to blow out the candle. To, to, and Lily's getting pretty good at it. She can do it by herself. Abby, bless her, she, she'll... <laughs> And uh, then she needs a little bit of help to, to finally get it to go out. And, and, but she's still very proud when it goes out, so don't tell her. Um, they wanted to snuff out the light, blow it out so that it wouldn't shine anymore. Why? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And John ends the chapter here. He ends this thought. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He said before that he that believeth on him being the Son is not condemned. And they go hand in hand. Those that are not condemned, that are covered by the atoning blood of Christ, those that Jesus, where Jesus has experienced the wrath and we are in him, we are in Christ, we've been saved through repentance and our faith in him. We have everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's hard to think that anyone here under the sound of my voice today would face the just condemnation for their sins and the wrath of God that comes along with it. It's hard to imagine. But we know that there are people that do. They do. They do face that condemnation. And they will face the wrath of God. Why? Because they have not believed on the Son. I pray if you're a sinner and you're not in Christ, your faith is not in Him, you're not shielded by Him, you're not looking to His sacrifice to be what protects you. Believe on the Son. Believe on Him. He came 
not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. This is the love of our Savior. This is the love that he has for us. Run to him. Run to him if you haven't already. You'll find your salvation there. Free from the condemnation. Free from the wrath of God. Free from what you deserve for your sin. In church, for those of us that that have been saved, for those of us that are in Christ, may we worship our Savior and His great love for us.